1: Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. First things first. I did a video on Will and Jada. It's what a lot of my stuff is about this week. Great. Uh, First thought that I have, I read his book. I didn't read every word, but I did go cover to cover uh, in an attempt to maybe do a next video on toxic things in relationships. And what I was struck by is the number of fascinating, interesting things that he says that could be out there in public consciousness that aren't, and how... If you have, you know, whatever. Most people on the internet, 99.99, are just consuming content. Mm -hmm. Then you have 1% of content creators. Of those content creators, I'd say 99.99 are just regurgitating headlines and commenting on clips that other people are finding. And then you have this vanishingly small number of people that are uh, watching the full Red Table Talk where he speaks to August Alsina or any other Red Table Talk that she did. Oh, yeah, you see there's like that (laughs)
2: new clip where she is filming him and he asks not yeah. to be filmed and it's 40 seconds yeah. and it wasn't viral three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And then someone found one it person by digging yeah. through and it just reshared, retweeted, repackaged tick-tocked. Yeah. It just, someone found it and then everyone else said, this is mine now.
1: Yes. I will share this.
2: Um, and so what I was
1: blown away by is the, uh, not, not to puff it up, but it's the insane The insanely small amount of primary research that is being done, Mm -hmm. meaning like if you want to form an opinion on Jada and Will's relationships, the least you could do is watch every Red Table talk that he's on where they openly discuss their relationship. That's not what happens. (laughs) People go, you know, in it he said, which is referencing an article, which is referencing an article, which is from, you know, one intern who watched a part of one of the Red Tables. But there's like interesting shit that Mm -hmm. is just missed in all of this. Um, And I was reminded a little bit, I don't know if we started it, but with the Theranos thing, we might not have been the first, but commenting on how she changed her voice, Mm -hmm. how Elizabeth Holmes did. And now I'm seeing that everywhere, um, that she lowered her voice, and that's become a common thing, which uh, it's just fascinating that if if you do a little bit of original research, the power that you have to shape conversation, and one of the results of that I felt like was that Jada has gotten a very – unfair shake in things because after watching when you watch all of her worst moments you despise her mm-hmm. and then when you watch them in longer context the, the it gets less bad and less bad <laughs> and less bad until you're just like oh these aren't great moments you know but there's so much more there uh, it's just fascinating to think how limited the window is and how few random people on the internet or in the world are actually I don't know, going to the Uyghur camps versus how many people have heard the words Uyghur camps and mm-hmm. have opinions on it. Um so yeah, if you want to have a successful well, I don't YouTube think you channel. You can go to the Uyghur camps. Sure, sure. Maybe that's not the best. That's example. not a good example. <laughs> Read Will Smith's book. Sure. You know what I mean? Which by the way isn't even primary. It's still like him it's not an interview with him. Um, watched Oprah's thing, which I think is what made this last video that I did successful, where he straight up talks about Basically lines up that he's going to punch a guy in the face if he says anything, say anything is about mean, his wife. Yeah. If anybody says anything mean about a woman in his life, he's gonna freak out, overreact, and become enraged. Yeah. Which he's been spelling out for the last six months to a year in every single interview he's done. Uh just fascinating that none of that gets done. And how many I was just struck by the opportunity that I felt like I had to say something interesting just by watching full context mm-hmm. on some of the clips that he was in. So that was Made for uh, an easy video in that regard. (laughs) He did all of the work for me.
2: Yeah, I don't think people really want a full understanding. I think they just want a momentary spike of emotion. Mm -hmm. Like if you're like, oh yeah, hey, just so you know, you can have a much better understanding of the situation if you put an hour of time in. No, I don't care. I don't care enough about Will and Jada. to Spend an hour doing this. Mm -hmm. I just want to hate someone for a second. Sure. It's not myself. And cool. so they actually, it's like, it's the it's working. They're not trying yeah. to
1: understand Will and Jada. Well, I mentioned Theranos. You know, that's interesting. It was one journalist that, I think it was like Robert Caraway or something like that, that discovered that it was bullshit. Mm-hmm. And it was because he had a little bit of biology background. He's like, oh, that's bullshit. <laughs> you can't just do a full spectrum blood test yeah, yeah. on a drop of blood. And so he started looking in, but every other journalist, Bill Clinton, and I don't blame Bill because he's just getting up on that stage, but like every other journalist who wrote a piece on her didn't check anything that she said. <laughs> they just accepted that she was doing this and that she had done this and that they were working with CVS, so it must be true. Mm-hmm. It's, I guess, what you, we've got this pyramid, but the lowest level of this pyramid, I, what I was struck by is no one's checked on it. No one has done the due diligence.
2: Well, I think for journalists- one, that's, one
1: person has done the due diligence. For
2: journalists, that's not surprising to me. What's surprising for Theranos is that the investors yep. would invest, that people put hundreds of millions of dollars into a company. That was impossible. But to be clear, as
1: someone who has now started investing his own money, doesn't that totally match your level of due diligence, which is you get a couple of heuristics from people that you trust and then just throw money? No.
2: I mean, that's not... So in private equity, what you do is you spend... I mean, you personally, sorry. Yeah, but they, well, Theranos, I don't think, got $100 million from random people i don't think bill gates just gave them 100 million i think they got venture capital firms Mm -hmm. to invest in them so you're saying that those firms the diligence that they were doing is expected to be at a higher i'm saying if you're if you told me that the new york times instead of paying consultants 50 grand to go research if this was legit or not outsourced their oh yeah outsource their due diligence to, we did We did an interview with the Theranos CEO and we interviewed the people who worked in the private equity firms and the venture capital firms that invested in them. And they all said that their experts and consulting firms said this was possible. So mm-hmm. we think it's possible. I go, yeah, of course, you, you work for a magazine. But the private equity firms, I think spent six figures talking to experts in the field, mm-hmm. consulting firms. Like, so in terms of who... It's most surprising. Dropped the ball there. It's that. It's the fact that it wasn't that she could get in the Rolling Stones. That's whatever they're
1: relying on the primary research of the private equity as their heuristic, and they're just writing an opinion piece about her personality. Especially. Right,
2: and in my opinion, they're just journalists. Like especially after the UVA woman was just able to fabricate an entire story, yeah, yeah. and it's like, yeah, I have well, no faith in journalists. Report what people say is kind of that's what, what I'm saying. saying. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. So <laughs> I'm not surprised report. at all. <laughs> yeah. The fairness thing that's most surprising to me is someone wrote a check for. Millions of dollars mm-hmm. and I know that to do that they hired people for tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands yeah. of dollars, and those people said yeah seems seems on the level
1: interesting and i 'm reminded a bit of the subprime crisis i don't know I have to, i'd have to read the Michael Lewis book or even that secondhand, but my from the movie it was Mark Baum was like the only guy that went and like looked at some of the houses and spoke to some of the people who were writing the mortgages mm-hmm. uh, it's just interesting that there's this like foundational level of, is this a good thing, a bad thing, true, false, uh, investment worthy or non-investment worthy, that we just trust (laughs) and then all operate on the level of Rolling Stone, Newsweek, New York
2: Post, New York Times commentary. Yeah. Uh, Well, I think it's, I think for me, it's, it falls to who's supposed to be checking this. mm -hmm. Like if you're an individual investor who makes 60 grand a year and you put two grand a year into a fund, an ETF that buys mortgage-backed securities. I don't think it's your job to go to houses and see. You're trusting that the person that manages the ETF does that. And and then that person clearly didn't do that job. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a failure in that, but I don't think it's in the individual investor. And I also think that there's a failure in it for the Theranos case, but I don't think you expect that the New York Times is going to diligence every company to see if what they're doing is legit after they've raised eight figures or nine figures of Mm -hmm. funding. You know what I mean? Yes. I understand what you're saying. Um that that's that's not the proper
1: role of journalists. Which is interesting. If you think that the role of journalists is not to report the truth, but what people say the truth is and you go, oh that's all we expect of them. It's just like he said, she said, uh completely allowing for lies (laughs) because that's not their job is to understand 10
2: Ks or blood work and i think that's a reasonable position to take well this was the so there's a journalist that started the iraq war basically or at least started the public perception that the iraq war was a good thing because she wrote an article that basically said they have wmds Mm -hmm. she said it because she spoke to high-level government officials who who told her yeah they have wmds and people blame her and my thought is is she, is she going to go to Iraq? They're not going to... Mm-hmm. By the way, even if she were in Iraq, what's she going to what do? What's she going to do, yeah. Ask? She, she can't sit in a room with Saddam, and if she does, he's going to say they don't. She can't go to classified military facilities that are housing WMDs because mm-hmm. they don't let American journalists in if those places do exist. So whose fault is this? Well, it's the government officials who purposefully lied to start a war. Or who had bad intelligence, or who knows what,
1: you know, Some it could have been some guy at the CIA who just made a mistake. I don't know exactly how it unfolded. I guess that foundational level, and we've talked about this with the news, of understanding what is true, we often just squint at it and then just go a level up and go, well, this person says, and they're supposed to know, so I feel 100% confident (laughs) in in my assessment of what is true. Um, But yeah, I was just also struck, if you're a content creator out there, how much opportunity there is out there to have interesting takes just by like reading the whole book or watching the whole video or watching Mark Zuckerberg's entire speech to Congress and not just the seconds that were, you know, the news agencies grabbed from it. Because uh, there's a lot that is missed. Um, and it's not necessarily like the funnest work to read the whole book or watch five red table talks. But you get interesting stuff. So anyways, I read, I read his book. There's a handful of just random points of trivia that I thought were cool. Um, his perspective, he decided... You know, based on trauma, and he's pretty clear about that. That if he could just be rich, famous, make everyone love him, everything would be okay. And mm-hmm. so his goal was to be the biggest movie star in the world. And he came up with this list: the video, the movies. He's talked about his interviews need to have uh, aliens, a love interest, and you know some other thing. They purposely said no to a lot of those early roles that would have cast him as an unlikable person. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they knew they're like, dude. If you want to be a movie star, people have to like you. Yeah, like they, you they have to like your character. And it was only when he started to get established in his career that he played more. Not that people didn't like his characters, but they were not movie star roles like Collateral Beauty or you know uh, even King Richard to it. Like he would never have taken early on in his career. Um, but a couple things that he said: if you want to be the a movie star, you have to recognize that it's international. Because that's where a huge portion of the box office comes from. And in America, what is huge here doesn't one to one translate with what makes the most money at the end of the day around the world. So I thought that was interesting and that affected some of the movies that he picked. Um, but he also said that you need to promote yourself and actors look at these press tours as a huge pain in the ass like they see their job as make a good movie and they want to check out he's like these jokers didn't realize that these studios are spending millions of dollars for them to go get famous (laughs) and then earn so much more money so he's like when i when it came time to internationally promote these things i was like hell yeah i'm gonna do more than anyone else and he said the only person he couldn't beat by the way was Tom Cruise, <laughs> who did more. He's, he said Tom Cruise, he was endless. He shook every hand, did every everything. Yeah. But he's like, it's the difference between $10 million and $25 million in Spain if you just show up, answer some questions to a journalist, and say a couple words in Spanish. And the fact that people didn't want to do that was wild to him.
2: Yeah, well, I see that in everyone. I mean, that's just not, that's not just a movie star thing. So many people think that their job doesn't involve making their boss like them or at least making their boss happy. And that you just see them talk about how hard they work or even the the things that they do for the business. And the unless you work in a direct sales commission role, everything comes through how the people at your company feel about you. And nobody wants to do that work. Mm-hmm. And he also got himself closer to the direct sales part of his position, which
1: is like he went out and sold these movies. He went out and sold himself, and for a long time, people went to see Will Smith movies because Will Smith was in them. You know, if it would, if it, and the studios knew this. If it had been another actor, Hancock, which made money, would not have made money mm-hmm. <laughs> because it was a shitty movie yeah, yeah. that nobody wanted to see. Um, so he he just had a very interesting perspective on it. I feel it. You make these videos. You're done with the content and you don't want to take it over the finish line of promotion or thinking about the title and the thumbnail. And there's probably a whole level that could be applied to like what we do in terms of the hype of a video coming out and, you know, emailing our list in the community and doing a conversation after it. Um, but I'm not nearly as hard at work and I don't have that hole uh, in my heart that convinces me that more YouTube subs would matter. Mm-hmm. But it was just interesting. And I, thought, I did think about that. I was like, oh man, if we wanted to grow our YouTube channel, we could... Do it the Will Smith way, which is focus way more on promotion (laughs) and just be that guy. Uh, Another thing that he said, which I thought was fascinating, one of some of the better advice that he got in his career came from Carlton, Alfonso Ribeiro. Mm -hmm. And when they were casting, they casted Will Smith. He was a rapper in The Fresh Prince, and they didn't have a name for him yet. He's like, you need to push hard to make his name Will Smith because that's what people are going to call you for the rest of your life said Carlton because <laughs> yeah, <yeah, yeah>, yeah. <laughs> he was a child actor and he knew he's like he I guess he had another role that people were calling he was like you need to get this to be Will Smith um and so that was So it wasn't uh, an overt theme in the book but it was something that I picked up which is like that's funny because no one knows who Alfonso is bro Will Smith is so much more famous than his movies like he's listing these hits like and some of them are big like Independence Day but it's like Wild Wild West fucking Wait, he's a bunch dude, of terrible dude he's movies. one of those terrible movies yeah. like terrible movies and they made money because he's a movie star that is bigger than his movies, even the ones that did well. Like, and I, I, I the Rock of, is the same. Just to be clear, the Rock the Rock is the same movies. way. He yeah. makes shit movies, and he's the biggest movie star. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was fascinating that there is a distinction between a movie star and an actor and a successful movie, and they're not the same thing. So that was interesting. What else did he say? He did. Uh, it was pretty evident at some point in there that he had not gotten over the ego of the biggest movie star in the world. And he's tongue in cheek about it, but somewhere around, I don't know, halfway through, he you keeps talking about himself. He's like, and he, there. I was the biggest movie star in the world. Mm-hmm. It's like, bro, I didn't forget from three sentences ago when you told me he, I, I thought I was rereading. It is a very well-written book. I think Mark Manson probably had a lot to do with that. Uh, but it's also in Will's voice, which is nice. It's, it's like, It's got a street vernacular, which is really cool. I thought I was reading the same chapters twice when he talks about a success. It was fucking unreal. I was like, I can't believe this got past an editor to let you talk again about the string of movies that were hits. Like, I get it, man. (laughs) You you had a successful string of movies. Uh, Congratulations. But that's not what matters, he would say. And there I was, the biggest movie star in the world. So it was evident, and this is the last thing that I want to talk about. There was a Neil Strauss effect that I Mm -hmm. felt with this which is never, ever write your memoir and then uh, think it's over <laughs> because this, in the interviews, he talks about it's a journey from fear to love of how he was an abused kid and compensated by being funny and famous and then realized that love is sort of the answer. And he doesn't claim perfection, but obviously then after that, slaps Chris Rock in the face, clearly from reading this book, still has this ego thing going on with the movie star. Um, There's something about books that demands a hero's journey, which is, and I did it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And there is something about life honestly lived that is not that. So don't ever think, if you write a memoir or are ever tempted to, don't make it a hero's journey. I guess it'll sell better, but you just look like an idiot (laughs) unless you're like on death's doorstep, in which case you can do the full hero's journey. Or and I'll give you I'll give you a one because I thought it was this, if it's like the story of building and selling your business. But if it's the story of becoming a complete human being, I think that's when you run into trouble.
2: I wonder, because his goal is obviously public perception and not Yeah, well let's just stop stop there. His goal is public perception. He slapped Chris Rock regardless. You think he'd have a better public reception if his memoir was also more humble? I don't think so. Because in ten sorry. years someone reads You're, that book, they're not gonna <laughs> this won't necessarily be the most defining thing that happens in his life. So in a year, five years, 10 years, someone still picks up his memoir. Oh, Will Smith, I remember that guy reads it. If the goal is public perception, I think he did it right. And I, same thing like with Neil Strauss, says books are, seem wildly inaccurate in terms of where they end and where he actually is in life, just based on, I'm the greatest pickup artist in the world. Next book starts with, he can't talk to women. This book ends with, I'm, um, I'm in a happy monogamous marriage and monogamy's the answer. And then he gets divorced post book. But like, the books themselves sell better because of the way he writes them. And his people who don't know he got divorced hold him in higher esteem because in his book, he says, I'm the, yeah. I'm the guy. So I do wonder. You're, you're totally right. Presuming. And you said it, if the goal is to improve one's public opinion. Which I think money. for Neil Strauss and Will Smith, it was to make money and improve their personal brands. I mean, some of the clips that are going yeah. viral, you see Will Smith's insanely focused on his personal brand. Yeah. So I think he would not agree (laughs) that it should have been more accurate i think he was going for presuming the goal of that you're totally right i
1: was assuming that my goal would be to have an accurate view of myself so that i don't make an ass of myself (laughs) which is
2: um but if you slap chris rock you're gonna make an ass of yourself regardless kind of what i'm saying there's no no one is like yeah yeah. no one's saying we don't like him because he did the slap and And misrepresented himself and
1: he acted like they just
2: don't like him because of the slap Fair so enough. it's not Fair enough. by the memoir. I've got a personal thing, which is, you know, obviously I'm
1: going to make mistakes in my life, but I just want to make sure that before I make that mistake, I let everybody know that I know I'm an idiot <laughs> 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 and that I'm going to, like, uh, and I've, I've, I don't have i know, we've talked about this. There is this tendency upon learning new things mm-hmm. to instantly become a guru and become the guy. And I've just, I've felt that in myself. I've seen it in these authors and these other books. Uh, it creates this karmic comeuppance where it's like you don't know shit and you haven't solved these problems and you're in a better place than where you started but you're nowhere near the finish line that you'd imagined. And uh, yeah, I just didn't want to be in that position. I also wonder if things like the book, this this was a question that I have. I watched a bunch of interviews with him and Jada. This is a larger question where they talk about having unconditional love for one another. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if these ambitious bold claims about you know unconditional love letting the other person be exactly as they are don't actually hurt you because they blind you to the truth of your relationship which is it has fewer conditions than it did before but Mm -hmm. obviously is not unconditional does that make sense why do you think will's love is not unconditional why do i think will's love is not unconditional because it doesn't apply evenly to all people no no unconditional to jada okay so that's a condition, and then what makes Jada Jada? Is it the skin suit she's in? You know what I mean. So, like, what if she behaved totally different? Would that still be Jada? Well, that would be a different. You know, no, my, I think
2: it would still be Jada. I uh, don't think Jada's behavior. Uh, well, I don't know how to measure love, but he actually seems to be one of the few people who says, "No matter what you do, I'm still in this." I think he says that, and I think he might even still be in it
1: if in it is in a marriage that yeah. is legally binding. But you're right. At some point, I'm going off an impression that I have based on that slap, based on his demeanor uh, during some of the conversations. In my opinion, if I was his buddy, I'd talk to him. I'd be like, look, man, I know it's the evolved thing to be like, we love each other and we give each other freedom. But what I see in you is fucking anger that maybe not even that she slept with August and some other guys, but that you're getting chewed up in the press as a result of it. And I see I see that seething inside of you. Keep my wife's name out. You know what I mean? Is that about people talking about her? Or is that about the fact that she gave people justification to talk about her?
2: Well, I thought your whole point was
1: that it's about the fact that his dad beat his mom. I think, it, I think he has resentment towards her when I watch him. And that's based on uh, several interviews and reading
2: his book. Well, let's talk about that because I actually thought that one of the things that came out was that he also was sleeping with other people yes so you think he resents her for sleeping with someone else when he was sleeping with other people because my impression from you was that they behaved the same and then she's taking the blame so that he can keep his public image intact I'll, i'll start at the beginning will
1: i believe based on his book wanted a monogamous relationship traditional big house success big willie style she didn't, was unhappy with that. Woke up crying 45 days Got it, days so in you a think they
2: open on her account.
1: And he said, oh, I'll enjoy this as well. Wow, there's freedom for me. There's freedom for you. Got it. And then I think when facing the consequences of that, which includes she slept with other people, that probably didn't make me feel too good. And then on top of that, the entire world, it feels like, is calling me a cuck. Because you did uh, sleep with the twenty-three-year-old who was in our house sick for three years and took him to red carpet events in order to be you, I f- sense resentment in in that.
2: Interesting. So, you, but basically, for because you think that the open marriage was because of her, or no? You yeah, think he yeah. just slept with a bunch of people? No.
1: I, I from reading the book, look, he could have lied. Uh, he wanted to be monogamous. He was his first girlfriend cheated on him. Uh, he interesting. I mean, I'm just going to tell you the Will Smith book now. He went on tour for uh, Parents Just Don't Understand, and he said he was, I'm going to marry this girl. I don't want anybody bringing anybody in the bus. You keep the shit out of here. And all of his friends were like, bro, you're like killing our vibes. And he didn't do anything bad. And then he came back and his girl had slept with someone else. Wow. Yeah. And then he lit all of her shit on fire <laughs> and threw it on the corner. Nice. I was like, wow, that is
2: insane. Um, but – well. Maybe he was just mostly mad for all the girls he passed up on, on tour. Well, then he said he went
1: nuts. Um, what he said, yeah, it's a fascinating book and he's, and he's, I think earlier in his life, more honest and then mm-hmm. gets less honest as we approach present day. Sure. Uh,
2: which is. I think that's how most memoirs yeah, work. Yeah. Uh,
1: but he said, he's like, you know, I wasn't even mad at her. I was just acting out what I thought was supposed to happen when you were cuckolded. He's like, I felt numb at the time but I took a bat and smashed the windows in her things and acted like this big angry guy and then I went home and cried <laughs> like nice on my mom's shoulder um and I thought that was you know honest uh to his to his experience and then it got thinner towards the back end of the book. But yeah, I don't think, I don't think this, I've, I've been planning this, this potential video on signs of toxic relationships and I'm trying to be, to not necessarily call theirs one because I don't know for sure, but I'm, I'm, the question that I had was. Would I
2: recommend Kim and Kanye as another. <laughs> Kim and Pete. Another study. <laughs> Getting a tattoo. Um, well, you can't say Kim and Pete, Jerry's still out. Yeah. Kim and Kanye, I think safe to say.
1: Well, so this is. We can talk about this. Maybe you can help me with this video. I actually don't think a toxic relationship is... It's not necessarily one that ends, but I think the definition of a toxic relationship is one that either overstays its welcome, where... Shortest way to put it is a toxic relationship is one that is bad for the participants. Like, -hmm. where the relationship persists past the well-being of the people inside of it. Um, And... Yeah. And so if your partner isn't good for you, I think that's a toxic relationship, I meaning like the relationship
2: goes on, but you're. I don't think that's. I think you'll have to define that in the video because I don't think that's how most people would say it. Like I think of our friend's parents who stayed married mm-hmm. until he went to college and then said, We haven't been happy for a while. We stayed together because we don't want to ruin your high school experience. We're getting divorced. It's not you. Yeah. I don't know. That, that automatically makes it toxic. Now, if they're also, when he's not around, like yelling at each other and treating them each other shitty, but if they are trying to make the best of it for their kids mm-hmm. without abusing each other, but they just wish that they were separate and they would be separate if they didn't have kids, does that, is that toxic? Well, one, I think that's almost
1: like a fantasy of what you just described, which is like two people who like come to the conclusion that they're not right and are kind to one another but agree to co-parent while living in the same house. is like... I've never seen or heard of that. And I know the friend you're talking about, that's not what it was for him. I saw it firsthand. Uh, Definitely was not that. It was toxic for him as well. And honestly, he might've been better off had they divorced. Um, So I don't know if that's, what you're describing, if it were real, I actually don't think it's toxic. Because at that point though, it still fulfills my definition because it's not harming their well-being. Mm. Like if they're like, oh, I can relate to you just fine. Like we're not having sex, but like, you're a good person, and mm-hmm. you're a good dad, and um, we don't sleep in the same bedroom, but like work together. That's that's no that's not necessarily harming why, my well being, and Got therefore it. wouldn't be a toxic relationship. There's no sexual chemistry or necessarily deep love in it, but um, is not toxic. Got it. Um, but so yeah, I was just wondering if one of the signs, because I'm trying to find signs and i don't really know the answers i haven't lived a full life i haven't seen enough of these run their course and i think people are very dishonest about the inside of their relationship what it looks like and so i'm trying to find early signs that point to dysfunction i do wonder if one of them is the claim of unconditional love um because i i've never really seen that in if we've talked about this mothered kid which is potentially the area you could most argue it but i still disagree but where I haven't seen it is in a romantic relationship. Do you feel like you have?
2: Well, I guess it depends on your definition, right? Like you take it, I guess most people don't mean what they say. When they say unconditional love, they just mean lots of love. Yeah. Like you you literally say unconditional love means the person stabs you in the eye, scars your body heart, lights you on fire, cheats on you, murders your kids, and you Mm -hmm. still love them. And I, I think most people go, that's not really what we're saying. You're kind of taking something too literally. I think it's more an expression of uh, undying love in the face of sane behavior. Well,
1: sane, I actually don't even even if I granted that, that we won't call it unconditional love. We'll call it love in the face of behavior. But I'm saying that's your behavior. that's
2: your problem with the word unconditional love. Is that you'll just you'll just list a series of behaviors yeah, yeah. where you go, if the person did these ten things, would you still love them? And you'll just make them more and more heinous. Let's keep sane behavior. I'll take your definition. I met someone I like more than
1: you. I'm gonna go be with them. You still love me? It's like, yeah, that unconditional love evaporates really quick. That's a very sane behavior. Um, I don't think people
2: have well, that definition sorry. of it. For the kids, they definitely do. I know people with kids who whose kids are drug addicts, who steal from them, who you know do do horrible shit, mm-hmm. and they still are loved by the parents. Ted Bundy's parents, you know, crying as he oh, sorry. Gets put I, well, to death. well, we can we can talk about
1: moms to. Kids and you're saying romantic kids. yeah yeah. have you seen that in a romantic relationship where people truly mean like oh you can treat
2: me poorly in a sane way and i will well unfortunately yeah in abusive relationships mm-hmm. like not in not in the so the not good healthy the relationship good relationships that doesn't are get conditional this is what i'm trying well, to say well you don't know if it's conditional or not because mm-hmm. it doesn't get tested so there's two mm-hmm. camps there's relationships where you have no idea what the pain tolerance is of the people because yeah they fight they screw stuff up, but they don't push each other to the limit. And then you have shitty relationships where you go, "This person does have not unconditional love, but too much love." Their husband is beating them, cheating on them, drugging them, and they're still in it. Like yeah. how, now, I know that they push past the bounds of normal love. To Which is funny because they have unhealthy. Fewer, they love. have
1: fewer conditions on their love, and they're they're closer. So to- that's what I'm saying. So have I ever
2: seen it? Like I, yes, I've seen it. You've seen some crazy. I haven't seen it in a healthy relationship because in my definition, a healthy relationship wouldn't allow me to even know what's the pain tolerance here for your quote unquote unconditional love Uh because you don't do that. Yeah. Versus the, I mean, you know who I'm talking about. The person whose husband did all that shit. It's like, yeah, I mean, I only know that your pain tolerance is high because you're in a shitty relationship. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> yeah, so I was, I was just thinking about this and some of the signs,
1: I think I have some that I feel really confident, with, which is just like, it's not a sign, but if, um, you're fr- this is, this is more a thing that contributes to relationship deterioration, which is when you become the paragon of a good relationship and Will and Jada had that. And it's interesting to watch interviews from a time period, you know, that things aren't doing well or people mm-hmm. are like, how do we get what you have? You yeah, know, yeah. It's like, yo, that will fuck you up. That, that, uh. Either you will explode their expectation of you right then and there, or you will go deeper and deeper into dishonesty, which is like don't let people put that on you is one of the things that I felt like I I could safely say to people is don't let your relationship become, don't let the perception of your relationship supersede the interior experience of your relationship.
2: Well, I think a general bad sign is when you are trying to get attention onto the quality of your relationship. Mm-hmm. Like most of the people I know in happy relationships just quietly have happy relationships. And we've talked about this. If you if you know a couple and you see a sharp uptick in the amount of Instagram posts about how happy they are, like yeah. that could be a sign that things are not going so well because they feel the need to project that things are going well almost subconsciously to compensate for how often sign. they're fighting.
1: It's a strong
2: sign. Yeah. yeah, and so I think, and so I... I don't know about the paradigm thing because I think that Will and Jada are also celebrity and I think most people don't, I don't think most friend groups have a, oh my God, like Charlie and his girlfriend, that's who we all want to be. You know, they don't, they're not putting on to each other. We the, had that
1: a little bit in high school with uh, our third musketeer friend and his girlfriend, if you recall. Mm-hmm. I, I sort of felt that for them and then was shocked when, oh no, it's not, <laughs> it's not that. Do you remember that? I wonder if that exists a little bit more often in groups.
2: Maybe we were also in high school and they did it for four years. That's a pretty great run. Yeah. For that wasn't a bad, I don't think that was a bad relationship. Yes.
1: I guess what I'm saying is that, and maybe it's not
2: common. Like if you pulled all of the couples at age 16, Mm -hmm. they did have one of the best relationships. Everyone else broke up much sooner. So we weren't even wrong.
1: Yeah. And I mean, if it's not, it's not one, but I'm I'm trying to sort through it in my head and through my experiences is that, well,
2: I think it's when you are positioning yourself as one, I guess is what I'm saying. Like, I don't think that they said... They didn't resist it, is what I would
1: say. I don't know that they... I mean, Will... I think they were happy.
2: You're talking about year two of a four-year relationship. Oh, sorry. I'm not. now talking about Will and Jada. Got it. Well, I think Will and Jada did present themselves as having a picturesque marriage. Didn't they go out into the world and talk about how great they were? Wasn't that the whole red table thing? I'd
1: have to find some of the... Well, that was... The timeline is that the worst point of the relationship, according to them, is 2011, and then they like split up for a period of time, and then started the red table around 2018 ish,
2: mm-hmm. and it was then they were going to reveal some of the bad times. I also think you'd be. I, I think most people don't know when they're in a shitty relationship. Mm-hmm. Like, cause well, this so is why instance, I want to do
1: this. This is so sorry to interrupt. My goal is for this video to have signs that you might not know. They go, oh, go, oh shit. You know, like that's what I'm aiming at.
2: Yeah, but what I'm saying is like Kevin Federline and Britney Spears didn't work out, bad relationship, everybody hates K-Fed because of how he treated Britney. That when they're on the couch on Ellen and Ellen is saying how cute they are and how great they are and they're not saying, no, we have our own problems. One, I think context-wise, are you supposed to just constantly when someone says something nice about you deflect with we're not perfect or can you just say, oh, thank you, that's nice of you to say. And two, they might have been in a great point then. Uh They might have been treating each other really well and really happy in the honeymoon phase of their relationship. You know what I mean? So it's not necessarily that there were already cracks forming that they were hiding. When she said that, it's not necessarily true that they were, oh shit, that's not true, but we have to keep up the projection. They must be like, yeah, we haven't started hating each other yet. It's great.
1: Yeah. Well, this is the tough thing is you said it. If we define a toxic relationship as one where the relationship comes before the well-being of the people inside of it um, or persists beyond that, it's not obvious. (laughs) And so what a good relationship and a toxic relationship look like is the same freaking interview. So I'm trying to pull out these subtle um, differences, and it's uh, not necessarily easy. Some of them I feel confident with, like – different visions for the future and then i have to figure out how people can understand if they have different visions for the future But that's one that stands out very very strong in their relationship that like tore them apart is will and i, I saw this i was just watching one of those crappy netflix shows um if you have trauma some traumas lead you to believe that like when he says that he's not looking for a wife he's just <laughs> he's just saying that all guys say that mm-hmm. or there's this guy on this show where she's this he's talking to a girl she says she doesn't want kids he goes I see it in her eyes <laughs> she does want kids yeah yeah and he's like the classic dude that like picks the girl that's not into him and doesn't want the thing to like help her realize the joys of motherdom um I think there's almost a degree of like a you need to listen to people when they tell you mm-hmm. like uh but also I think there's then a, a even more difficult sussing out what somebody's vision of the future is because people will also lie in order to make you like them more in the early stages of relationship. Oh, well, I do want kids or I do want a family. Yeah. Or I, I, like,
2: Oh, I, That's I a never want that. That's a tough one. How people, do you do, how do you People know? change their minds. You said yeah. you're never going to date exclusively. I yeah. said I was never going to date exclusively. We're both in exclusive relationships. Well, so we would have been, taking us at our word would have been. A good idea. You think? I think that you can make bad plays
1: in poker and they can pay you at the end of it.
2: Yeah, I think on... Well, yeah, and listen, I dated a lot of women and I didn't exactly. end up being monogamous so with them. you should have...
1: Anyone who wanted a monogamous relationship with you when you said no should have left.
2: Sure, I think you can say it's... <laughs> you can definitely... I think 100% you can say this is a bad bet to make. It's likely not to work out. Mm-hmm. But what you can't say is... Guaranteed. Yeah. When she or he says, I don't want kids, they'll always mean it. Because I think often people will change their minds on that stuff. Not often. Very rarely. Very rarely. Uh, Very rarely
1: from the, from the perspective of their partner. How many partners have you said no kids to and have you meant it?
2: Yeah. All sorry. I think a lot of people so, say,
1: I think age plays a factor. veil of ignorance. You're coming down into some girl that Ben has dated. <laughs>
2: yes. <laughs> and like, listen to him would be my advice to you. I don't know. I wonder if it's not just... It's gonna it's gonna by by thirty-five, this person's gonna probably want kids. What if it's
1: forty? What if Could be 40.
2: what if it was thirty? You know what I mean? It's just like, yo,
1: you're getting older, find someone who says yes is just the answer. It's and and I as I go through this, I'm like, I'm totally willing to be the toxic. And by the it does it's not um a moral judgment. It just means other people should not yeah. date you in these circumstances. It doesn't mean you're a bad guy. Um, but yeah listen to people. When yeah, yeah. They say what well, they, I agree with that. I mean, there's yeah, yeah. a lot
2: of people I was with who were just, who just said, I, I want to be with someone exclusively and you don't. So we're going to stop seeing each other. And yes. I went, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Good luck. I think uh, that's a great call. Yeah.
1: Um, girl that I most recently dated prior to this one said that then went and got married and had a baby, you know, like, um, it made sense for her. Yeah. Um, so I do feel like that is one is, you know, listen to people when they tell you, what their future dreams are. And
2: might you be wrong? Yeah, I would just call it listen to people because you can't, you can't control whether or not they'll change their mind. Not that they won't change their mind. That's a bad bet. They may, That's yeah, yeah. a bad bet to take your happiness and say this only happens
1: for me if they change their mind. And then what, I would say most often happens is, you know, it gets ugly and then dissolves or you stay together and it's a, it's a source of resentment for, you know, you told me X and you didn't need. Yeah. Yeah. This.
2: I just wouldn't frame it as cause it's not going to happen.
1: I would frame it as because. Yeah. No, it's cause it, it's likely, I mean, look, there's no guarantee. Um, with all of this stuff, with any signs that I'm doing, I'm, I'm very clear. It's like, look, this doesn't make you a narcissist. This is just like, this is just a checkbox mm-hmm. that to keep an eye out for. Um, and if you get five of these, yeah, yeah that in, was my big thing in, with the
2: sociopath. But just, you're in you know, the danger zone. <laughs> no one listens to the intro, or they no one absorbs the intro in a meaningful way. Because mm-hmm. I said that with the sociopath video, mm-hmm. I said none of these guarantee you're a sociopath. These are all just signs, and I had so many comments. I'm autistic, and I do number three. That's not a sign of sociopathy. I go i agree like do i just timestamp second 17 when no, i said that to be clear it's do you know what a sign means like yeah. <laughs> it doesn't it that, there's but it's reason. not like i was relying on people to infer it from the title i literally say it and then people get in there yeah. and they go and then their feelings are hurt because they go like, i'm not a sociopath but i do this so, yeah. yeah i didn't say you were yeah no i So you're I, gonna get that with your toxic video i think no matter what that's uh, that's okay and i i
1: uh, first video that I checked comments on in a while because I was curious about this one and the wide range of comments is just further reinforced. I was Will like, oh, Smith?
2: Yeah. yeah. Oh, I thought Will Smith comments were all positive.
1: They were very nice. but you know were the
2: biggest split in comments I've ever seen probably? No. Zelensky. Yeah. That was the most split comment section I've ever seen. Yeah. Russians. most of the time when presence. a video is bad, people just don't comment. You know, a video is bad when everyone's just saying, "Please do this other celebrity." Oh man, this video had <laughs> nothing for you to grab onto. Yeah. And then when they're commenting on the video, it's mostly positive. With Zelensky, a lot of people not not liking Mr. Zelensky. So be it. Yeah, I don't say it's. I don't think it's right or wrong. It was just interesting. A lot of pro-Russian people in the comments. The big thing I notice as
1: a, a video maker is that people presume that. And you, it kind of happens with the signs that a sign, the sign is a synonym for is, meaning like mm-hmm. signs you're a narcissist means is. And it's like, no, I don't, I would have said is a narcissist. Like if he does number three, then he is a narcissist is not what I said, very yep. obviously. And it's a similar thing um, that occurs with judgment, which is like if you slap someone in the face, people will not like you is not the same as slapping people in the face is wrong and you should not do it. And there's, uh, an inability for people to like, I I feel like so often I'm just trying to analyze and describe the physics of social interaction. Mm -hmm. If you push someone off a ledge, they will fall to their death is what I'm trying to say. And people cannot help but impose or expect that I ought to talk about if this is a good or a bad guy. Will shouldn't. I'm just like, dude, I'm not really not interested in, in whether he should, shouldn't did, didn't. I'm just trying to describe the causal effects
2: of, of this um you just gave me my my next video i was going to do a big video on craig ferguson and flirting but i'm going to make a 37 second video the number one sign that you're dating a sociopath and it's going to be the person has been diagnosed by a therapist <laughs> with antisocial personality <laughs> disorder thank you for watching it's going to be great yo we should we're going to love it uh honestly if it weren't if we hadn't missed april fool's day yeah, yeah. i would say that's a great fucking video to post it's 37 just seconds a, a short the number one sign you're dating a narcissist yeah um they've been diagnosed with narcissism thank this you this one is a foolproof sign you got to keep an eye out for this okay <laughs> um the other video i
1: was thinking just i don't know if it's going to happen but not video this is a thought right now if you go through uh at least the top two most popular fictional characters we've ever covered don draper and tommy shelby they are traumatized men
2: mm-hmm.
1: whose charisma is is because they do not react like normal people to normal situations
2: yeah. because they are deeply fucked up. Yeah, yeah, I think this is also why narcissists and psychopaths tend to be do better in dating.
1: Yes, and so it's like, I want to remain as cool, calm, and collected as he is. So it's like, well, you just got to hollow out the inside, <laughs> and, <laughs> and it'll be easy, man, and you too can feel empty and have sex. <laughs> it's just... Um, yeah, like normal people... And not normal. Happy people get nervous and shake and uncomfortable and don't like
2: conflict and all of these. Well, other there's things. healthier ways and to there, do it, of though. Because I think, you, for instance, if you yes. do Toastmasters and improv comedy, correct, you don't get PTSD, but you do, you do numb your nerves to social situations. Well, this is what we wind up doing in our videos. We don't talk necessarily
1: about how Tommy got the way that he is. We talk about oh, what you, go, you exactly. do. You got go. Tommy Shelby's <laughs> like this way from
2: exposure therapy because of World War One. <laughs> yeah. Your exposure therapy could be talking to someone in a yes. coffee shop. Yes. Um, it, but it won't make you suicidally depressed like Tommy. And then exactly. he just show B-roll of Tommy with a gun to his mouth. But what I think probably because I just read this book, um,
1: we don't talk about the historical evolution of these characters, which is fair if they were to exist in the real world. Like, you know, this person obviously is a heightened, dramatic character. But if they were to just throw guns around, point people's face, shoot people all the time, not do it. It's like, yeah, you'd have to be uh, really screwed up in order to make it through the day without a breakdown. And if he did break down, the audience wouldn't like him. (laughs) So there's this um, admiration of traumatized men, which is... Just to be clear, you did say this in both videos. I did say this, but I don't think I really smashed it home. What I did was like, by the way, Don did this because he was poor as a kid, but you can do it. That's that's how it. That's how I did it. it was by quickly deflecting to a, a healthier way that you can do it. But it doesn't change the fact that we watch these, we know these people's stories, and we still love them as mm-hmm. a result of it. We wish that we had what the trauma
2: offers them. I, I well, yeah. Our audience does, man. They love these oh, no. guys. Yes, yes. But I, I think there's also just a protagonist thing. Mm-hmm. If you, I think if you followed around, what's that guy's name from the first season? Billy. Billy Kimba. Billy Kimba. <laughs> I think if you followed him around, oh, I, you would really like him and you would hate Tommy Shelby. Yes, yes. Um, there's just something, I mean, that's that's why nobody thinks they're a bad person. Because camera the camera him follows you, you have complete empathy for yourself. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, Let me see if i would written anything else. Uh, We don't necessarily need to go. Hmm. Yeah, I'll skip that one. What do we got, Justin? All right, we got one question. Um, So I read how to win friends and influence people, and one of the lessons from the book was to avoid most arguments instead of having them since they usually are trivial and just lead to bad outcomes. However, I feel like sometimes there are arguments that have to be had. How do I know which ones have to be had and how do I go pro- about approaching a successful argument? I have thoughts on this. So um, the wow. books, I'll just start by saying the the books that I loved the most at one phase of my life are books that if I'd read now, I think I would disagree with more and more of. No, because I don't think so. Because this is about being liked. You're right. It's describing the mechanics of making people like you.
2: He's not saying don't argue. He's saying there's people who argue out of reflex mm-hmm. and people aren't going to like you if you do that. Yes. It's 100% true. Which is true. Also, by the way, extremely different from having an argument with your close friend or significant other. Mm-hmm. But I've seen this. There's people that just you just go out with and they are just they just butt heads with people about stupid shit that they don't even care about and then they're confused why people don't like them and go, well, mm-hmm. it's because of this defining feature that you have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fair. Yeah. And it is,
1: I think, I guess what I would say is my goal has shifted as much from how to win friends and influence people. So a book like that appeals to me
2: less. Yeah. But I, but I do think that it is,
1: but it is dead true. on. Yeah. yeah. Um, and how do you know? I still think that there could be a spectrum of like, you know, fights you
2: got to have fights you should let go. Um, how do you know? But d- he, he nails it though. Dale nails it. Dale says, if your goal is actually to persuade someone, an argument's not even the best way to do it because someone convinced against their will will just have the same opinion the next day. Like if you berate Mm. someone into submission with your superior facts, but they are dragging their feet the entire time, the next day they're just gonna wake up with the same opinion. And people have done this. You have conversations with somebody of different political affiliation or whatever it is, (laughs) an atheist and a religious person talk, no one's mind has changed. So the best way to be persuasive is the most likable way to be persuasive, which is Socratically guide the other person to the conclusion, position yourself on the same team as that person and explore together being willing to change your own mind as well. And that's not really even an argument. That's a conversation where you're both on the same team in the pursuit of truth. Yes, and all of that
1: was presuming that your goal is to persuade and not to authentically express. Like, say that someone at dinner just starts dropping racist crap, Mm -hmm. and you're pissed. You could Socratically do it, which might be the best persuasive approach Mm -hmm. or you could go I am authentically furious Mm -hmm. and need to find a way to express that how does one know when it's time to lean towards authenticity and put persuasion and likability by the wayside or when it's I think that's a very difficult question I I don't know how to answer that.
2: Yeah, I mean I I appreciate that I appreciate the need to not repress emotion, but I also think there <clears> is value in a more stoic philosophy of like letting other people upset you with their words, especially when they're not someone close to you, but they're strangers. That seems more of a triggering event to look inside. Yeah, to me, than it does okay, yes, you don't want to repress, but also you want to know, is my anger justified? The Will Smith situation, right? In that moment, he had anger, mm-hmm. fury through the bone. That was his authentic reaction. I do think that that inciting event should have been, more than anything, been a trigger to look inside. And I think similarly, if you're out to dinner and a friend's friend who you just met is saying a bunch of stuff that incises, like that creates fury in you, mm-hmm at the level where you can no longer communicate persuasively, more than anything, I think that's an interesting opportunity to think about why someone that doesn't matter is able to control you emotionally like that. I'm trying to think. So I agree. Versus just being like, this person's a moron. Like, And I always think of it like the little kid. Like if a little kid walked up <laughs> to me, if a three-year-old walked up to me and said something, what would they have to say that would get me enraged? Because I would just go, it's a three-year-old. They don't know anything. Yeah, I'm trying to think. And I, I'm thinking through...
1: I do. I think that there is certainly a spectrum of activity. One which would point either way. I'm thinking of somebody who um, came up to you at an event and called you a bozo, basically, and you didn't fly off the handle. But there was a, it was
2: not Socratic. No, I don't think that. <laughs> well, I don't think he liked me after that. Yes, I yes. think I commanded a lot of respect from everyone else there because that yeah. person was disrespecting me. Yeah, but that person walked away disliking me. So there was. How a-
1: did you make the dis- and I obviously you. it like that but like how should one make the decision between likability socratic and
2: fuck this shit (laughs) i think i think uh listen i don't think it was a bad decision and like i said i think everybody else that was there felt he was in the wrong and so the fact that i wasn't conflict avoidant there's just some weird male thing where like i basically signaled i'm not gonna back down from you and worse from source i I'm okay with this escalating to violence and that creates respect from other people. But I still think it, I would have been better off if I had just been calm and been able to get him to de-escalate his aggressive behavior instead of matching it. Hmm. And I think part of why I didn't was because he was hitting a sore spot hmm. for me. Like, I don't so, think that was the best response. I think I don't. handled- I'm surprised that you
1: think that because I don't think, I actually don't think it was a bad response. I don't think it was a bad response. I just think it was the best response. Yeah, man, if you were the fucking Dalai Lama, maybe you have <laughs> just- That's him, what I'm saying. I think oh, it's, uh, that's a fascinating opinion yeah, yeah. that you have. Yeah, well, I that's mean- That's what I'm saying, I think. Yes, but, uh, okay, yes. If you're the Dalai Lama, this isn't even a question for you. It's like, uh, given that you're a human being with sore spots and with people who will yeah. disrespect you at some point in your life, how can you decide when to tend towards that authentic- I'm going to, I'm going to risk pissing you off. And in fact, guarantee I piss you off and I'm going to ameliorate everything and find my way to make this, um, to make you feel good so that you like me and we move past this. I don't, I actually don't know the answer. (laughs) I, I don't know the answer. And it's something that, um, I ask myself, I don't. I don't know how to balance those two. I think there is an inherent tension. This is one of the difficulties between there is a hundred percent between charisma and authenticity at some level, and there is an authentic brand of charisma, but there are times when um, fitting in, you know, the bet to make the maximum people like you or the people in a room like you uh requires you for instance I mean you're not shitting and burping all over the place you are stifling how you feel well, constantly now, now that I have in a relationship I am
2: <laughs> literally shitting and yes. burping all over the place and
1: so I uh, sorry I don't have the answer to this question how does one uh decide between marry authenticity and um social grace that's that's a good question that I think is
2: actually even I don't know Yes, but I think I mean maybe I'm wrong. I think I was reading in this person's question. This question, I might have gone too deep on a, this <laughs> A aim towards persuasion. Sure. Can you towards, read? Can you
1: read it once more, just towards the end? Yes. So they I don't said, think they're um, saying
2: like I'm trying to be radically honest and and because mm-hmm. ra- radical honesty and How to Win Friends and Influence People are the opposite book. at odds. <laughs> they're both good books, but they are <laughs> they are the opposite at books. odds. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yes, they said, um, usually arguments are trivial and just lead to bad outcomes. However, I feel like sometimes
2: there are arguments that have to be had. So how do I know which ones need to be had and how do I go about approaching a successful argument? So I guess what I would say is the only argument I can imagine has to be had is if it's with someone close to you. And if if someone is close to you, then you don't have to necessarily Dale Carnegie them because Dale Carnegie is about how to make friends. But also I think if your goal is to persuade someone close to you, if they think it was an argument, you are unlikely to persuade them. And so since you're with someone close to you, it shouldn't feel like an argument to either of you if your goal is to change their mind. I
1: think, I also think there's, you mentioned there's arguments have to be had. I actually don't think that's true. I think what has to be had oftentimes is you have to state your position. And that's something that we've talked about. Like just being able to be like, Oh, that's interesting. That's not how I feel. It's like very important. Sometimes we're on the podcast talking to someone that we disagree with, Mm -hmm. and we don't need to fight with them on every point or resolve that. But we just need to voice, like, "Oh, like, yeah, that's that's not
2: my experience." Can I clarify? I mostly do that because it's a public forum, yeah, and I don't want people who like us thinking my silence is is unspoken agreement. But if I met someone at a conference. And they said some of the things that I've said time out, just to be clear, I disagree yeah. with you. What I'd probably do is go, that's an interesting perspective. I'm going to go get some water and just walk away. I just feel like this person yeah, isn't. Uh, somebody am <laughs> go says, spend time with someone else.
1: Tell me your star sign. I'll go, I'm a Libra. Oh, you know, that means you're this, that, and the other thing. I'll go, oh, yeah, I'm not really not into that stuff, but cool. You know, like I, I will not fight them. I will not explain to them that I think that, you know,
2: that's what I'm saying. What, and if go, I no, was a C-section.
1: Think- what if I had emerged <laughs> on my natural birth? I would have been a Scorpio and I have a totally different personality. Like what if two twins are born at fucking 1159 and 1201 AM? <laughs>
2: that's, I have a better one. What if two twins are born with the same sign and different personalities? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: That's even, that's even better. better yeah. 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 But, uh, but I don't do this every time. But of course not. Yeah, expresses I, just, it, I just go, huh. Most of the time I just, go, oh, yeah. <laughs> I just
2: keep living my life. Or, I'm or not go, yet.
1: oh yeah, I'm not really that into that. You know, just, but in a friendly way. So you don't have to argue every disagreement. Sometimes authenticity is just expressing and it's, there's there's different weights and different circumstances that you don't necessarily agree, but you're totally fine to move on.
2: Sure, and I guess, we well, just to wrap it up, there's this, like, what will get you liked, what will get you persuaded, and then what you think you have to do. If you're trying to be persuasive, the other person's not going to walk away thinking of an argument. They're going to walk away thinking of a discussion and they're going to walk away thinking that they changed their own mind.
1: Yeah. Cool.
2: That's it. We did it. What do we
1: got today on uh, Patreon? Uh, we're going to talk about on that note, overcoming a discomfort of violence. Uh, we're going to talk about the Enneagram system and then we're going to talk about the effects of jerking off to your own homemade porn. Of course. <laughs> right. <laughs> what a topics, my favorite topic. Uh, cool. So if you guys want to join us on Patreon and support the podcast, any dollar amount gets you access to this, we're going to talk for an extended period of time. And they often riff like that last question did into new and exciting places. So it means a lot, keeps the podcast going, uh, and it all goes to Justin. So if you guys want to support us, check us out on Patreon. Otherwise we'll see you next week. Peace.